The title of this morning's message is Starving for the Praise of Man. Starving for the Praise of Man, because today, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, tackles the topic of fasting. Once again, Jesus is taking a similar principle where he attacks and exposes the religious leaders and anybody who would practice a good thing for the wrong reason. In other words, doing the right thing, but with the wrong motive and intention. You see, Christ continues to expose this self-serving motive where people are practicing religion because they want the praise of man, and they're less concerned about the reward of God or praising God through those actions. Now, my aim today is not just to land you with a principle that we ought to pray or to fast, but to bring you to Christ Jesus. I firmly believe that it is only by cultivating a deeper love for Christ and a desperate dependency upon Christ that will lead us to do such things as practice spiritual disciplines like Bible reading, prayer, silence, solitude, and fasting. Now, many of you will hear this message today, and right now you're thinking, okay, the pastor's going to talk about fasting because the passage talks about fasting. And I'll confess to you, I had a donut this morning, right? So for, for most of you, you will be thinking, okay, fasting, it's biblical, amen. Let's do it. There are times to fast, but fasting is not required for salvation. It is not required for sanctification. It is not required to be a good Christian. I would say, if you, if you were to ask me, Hanley, should I fast or should I read my Bible and pray? You've got to read God's word and you need to pray. Uh, fasting is something of a spiritual discipline that you reach for. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, people fasted during desperate measures, times of repentance, times where Israel had gone away to idolatry, and so they're coming back and returning to the Lord, so they, they're, they're fasting in repentance and brokenness. Times of drought, times where they're crying out to God, times of revival, there are specific occasions of fasting, which means fasting is to be done as a temporary measure of a spiritual discipline. It's not something that you continue to do because you'll die if you just keep fasting. Right? So fasting was an important practice. And so I think a lot of us, or a lot of you, you'll be thinking, okay, amen, this is good, but I think I can tune out now. Well, let me put it to you another way. Okay, Substitute fasting for any spiritual discipline or service to God that tires you out, like working with junior hires, or working with people, or visiting the sick, or caring for a brother or sister that's not as easy to deal with, or even caring for the elderly, driving them around, taking them to the hospital. Think of any service or labor in the church that just makes you tired and worn out. Now, let's be honest. Wouldn't it be so nice if at least one person came up to you and said, man, brother, man, sister, you look so tired. You look spent. Praise God for you. Thank you so much for leading that outreach event. Thank you for leading that mission trip. Thank you for taking 60 junior hires up to the mountain and letting them prank you all night and not sleeping. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Hey, you look so tired. You look worn out. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't give appreciation and honor and, 
and respect to those who serve God. But what I am saying is that if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we have a good intention, but we actually want that recognition. It's, it's nice if someone actually tells you thank you. Now, what Jesus is saying is there are people in his time, the religious leaders, and those who followed them, who actually made themselves look tired. They made themselves look weary. They wanted people to look at them and say, man, you look really messed up. You look really tired. You must be fasting for the poor. You, you, you must be denying yourself while wow, you are so pious. And they wanted that praise. Hence the title, starving for the praise of man. So once again, even if you can't fast for medical reasons, or you can't fast because you're pregnant, or you can't fast for because you need to eat or something like that, and, and, and take your pills, think of all of us ought to be doing something to serve the Lord. Do we do it wishing and hoping that at least one person would tell us, thank you, you look so tired, you look so worn out. Now, don't you all quit your ministries now, we need you. But, but hear me out here, because this is ultimately convicting for spiritual leaders. Right? The, the more of a platform that you have, the more that God gives you in terms of responsibility. And there is this intention that you want to serve Christ, but the honest truth is, it is nice when people recognize it. So what is biblical fasting? Fasting refers to food and water. Abstaining temporarily from food and water. That's the biblical definition. That's what they did in the Bible. And in essence... Food and water was your sustenance. You depended on it. There is such a thing called hangry, right? Where you're hungry and you get angry. Most of us need food, but there are times where you don't get hungry. You forget to eat. When are those times? When you're zoned in on that work project and you forget that it's lunch. You had enough for breakfast. Maybe you had a light breakfast. It'll catch up with you later. But you almost forget because you're so zoned into something. Now think of that, and that's fasting. We need food to survive. You need water, you will die. But the whole idea is that when you don't eat, you, you, it affects your emotions, it affects your well-being. You start to get weak unless your heart and your emotions are so zoned in on the task at and that you forget about that need to eat. Now, fasting reminds you, okay, I need to eat, but what if you were so focused on God instead, being filled and satisfied by that time of prayer, drawing out, or you're so remorseful in repentance like the Israelites. You're so broken over that sin. You're praying for the lost, that your heart is so consumed by the people who need the Lord that eating just passes you. And so in Judaism, the common fast was from one evening meal to another evening meal, which means they would skip breakfast and they would skip lunch, but they would eat dinner. And then if they wanted to fast, once again, they would skip breakfast, skip lunch, and then they would eat dinner. It's All it is is to draw them near to God. And of course, there are people who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Right, so there are extended times of fasting. David Mathis 
writes this, quote, an exceptional measure designed to channel and express our desire for God and our holy discontent in a fallen world, end quote. That's how he defines fasting. He defines fasting as not a normal practice that you do daily because physically you may not be able to do it every day, but it's an exceptional measure and it's designed to focus you, to realign your desire for God and to remind you that this world is not God's kingdom in the sense where you want the kingdom to come. You know there's a spiritual essence of his kingdom, but you look around and you see this world, this fallenness. It's just to remind you that you are to be set apart. You're different. You're a child of God. Kyle Strobel writes in his book, Form for the Glory of God, quote, Fasting is not a way to bend God's will to your own. It is not even a way to defeat your flesh. Fasting is a means to prepare your heart. Fasting, he goes on to say, is creating space in your weakness, not in your being filled with food and sustenance so that you're normal and regular. Fasting is a, is creating space in your weakness for prayer, repentance, and trust, end quote. So fasting is, is not, Lord, if I don't eat for a couple of meals, you need to answer this prayer. If you do this for me, Lord, I'll sacrifice for you. That's not what fasting is. It's not bending God's will to your own. God's will will be done. God knows what your needs are. Fasting is a way, it's more for us. It's more for us and less for God. It is for God in terms of our motivation and intention, but it's more for us to be reminded of how desperately we need God. And this leads us to our text today. So if you have God's word, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, where this text ought to challenge us to fast and pray. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, Jesus says this. He says not if you fast, he says when you fast, assuming that all of his followers will fast in some way or form in some time in, as part of your Christian spiritual discipline. When you fast, disciples, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they, present active indicative, they disfigure their faces. Stop there. It doesn't say they fasted and their faces became disfigured because naturally they got weak. It's not they got sick, so their face got disfigured. Present active indicative, they actively disfigured their faces. They did it purposefully. That their fasting may be seen by others. Stop there. I want you to note that detail there. That. This word that, this is not a result clause for those of you who study the original languages. This is not a henna. This is a hupos. Which means, translated for all of you, it's purpose. So if I were to ask you, you're fasting tomorrow. What's your purpose? No, oh, I want to lose weight. Well, that's your purpose. I want to do this intermittent fasting thing that all the hipsters are doing. Well, that's your purpose. If you were to ask these religious leaders, what's your purpose? Well, I'm disfiguring my face on purpose so that others will see how tired and worn out I am. That's what the Greek original text is conveying. They disfigure their faces on purpose so that their fasting may be seen by others. That's the only reason they're doing it. They're starving for the praise of man. And Jesus says, if you're doing, if you're fasting on purpose, just to be seen by others, then truly I say to you, 
they've received their reward. Verse 17, but when you fast, when you fast, not if you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So point number one, don't fast for the praise of man. Don't fast for the praise of man. Now I want you to notice, if you'll look in your Bibles back at the passage we looked at two weeks ago, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, Jesus is using the same formula. He starts with a negative example. Right? He says, don't do this. Don't be like the hypocrites, verse 16, hypocritical fasting, followed by the negative reward. If you fast hypocritically, you will only re- receive the negative reward, only the praise of man. But then in verses 17 to 18, he gives the positive example. When you fast, do it this way. And there's a positive reward. You will receive the reward of the Father. You see the same formula in chapter 6, verses 2 to 4. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray this way, just to be seen and heard by others. Instead, when you pray, pray in secret that you would be rewarded by the Father. It's the same formula. So we're done. No, I'm just kidding. But in reality, Jesus is repeating himself. He's, he's using a different example, but the same central thrust and same central truth. That's what he's doing. Notice that when Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. And so we already explained two weeks ago, this word hypocrite, it, it, in the original Greek language, it describes actors who exaggerated their actions to depict an exaggerated character. Like, you want to be funny, so you don't just show humor, you start dressing and acting like a clown. right? So you go all the way and you exaggerate your actions. That's what hypocrites were. They were putting on a show. They were doing things just for theater. They were doing things so that people can look at them, like watching a performance. Let's explain this a little further in Matthew 23, verse 5. So if you go to Matthew 23, you don't have to do it now, Jesus goes, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the religious leaders, woe to the scribes, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And in Matthew 23, 5, he says specifically, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Direct cross-reference to our passage today. Don't fast just to be seen by others. Later, chapter 23, the religious leaders, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. So clearly, Jesus has an opponent here. Like we mentioned, he's aiming his teaching, don't fast for the praise of man. He's aiming this directly at the religious leaders, but obviously this speaks to any of us who would do any righteous deed or any good work or any service for God. They disfigure their faces. They twisted their faces just to be seen by others. And so fasting for the praise of man comes with the same reward that we saw in chapter 6, verse 2. Verse 2, truly, I say to you, if you're fasting for the praise of man, you will receive your reward. Let me explain this once again, because Jesus repeats this. When he says you'll receive your reward, that's all you're going to receive. Which means if you do anything, if you pray, if you fast, if you serve just for the praise of man, you might get it. If you do a good deed, if you give to the poor, you might just get it. Okay? Uh, chap- I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 2 to 4 is about giving to the poor. Last week's passage is about praying. Okay, but it's the same formula, three times. Okay, So whether you give to the poor, whether you pray, 
to be seen by others, or whether you fast, if you do it for, for man's praise, they might praise you, but that's all you're going to get. Now, that's pretty bad. You might think that's a good reward, but that's a bad reward. Because what you're not going to get is the reward of God, which means in this context, it's talking about salvation. Because if you get no reward from God, there's not going to be anyone in heaven with no reward. Everyone will have the reward of Christ. And everyone, even if, if you see rewards as crowns, those crowns are to be laid forth at Christ. There's no one in heaven that's going to have nothing to offer to Christ. If there is no Christ, if there's no reward to offer to Christ, and no worship to, to attribute to Christ, then that person is not in heaven. And so the only reward they will receive is the reward of the praise of man, which means if that's our aim, that's all we're going to get, that pat on the back, the human applause, the accolades and rewards, the plaque, the buildings named after you, that's all you're going to get. But you will not receive the reward of God, which is the reward we all want. And this leads us to point number two. Point number two this morning is fast for the reward of God. So don't fast for the praise of man. Fast for the reward of God. Verse 17. If you'll look with me, it says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, when Jesus instructs his disciples to anoint one's head with oil and wash one's face, some commentators and scholars believe that this was a great symbol of joy and gladness. In other words, when they anointed their, their heads with oil and they, when they washed their face, think of the idea of a shining face. When you oil your face, your face glows with happiness and joy. It's a shining face. And a shining face is put in contrast to a gloomy and disfigured face. So it's a clear opposite. It's a clear contrast. A shining face, glowing with joy, even though you're fasting, versus purposely disfiguring your face and looking gloomy just to get the praise of man. And that's one interpretation based on Psalm 23, verse 5, and Psalm 104, verse 15. Okay, and this is in your digital study guide if you want those references. But basically they take that and say it's it's a symbol of joy and gladness. Now there's another interpretation that's just as good. Other interpreters would say anointing your head with oil and washing your face refers to the practice of bathing. Now you and I today, we use shampoo, head and shoulders. We use oil of allay, which is not really oil, but it's soap. You can get it at Costco. Back then, when they bathed, they used a type of oil. They used oils to wash their face. They used oil to shampoo their hair. And that interpretation is saying, Jesus is basically saying, hey, bathe and wash your face. Act normal. Act normal so the people don't look at you and say, man, you're purposely looking dirty, gloomy, like you have ashes all over your head. Let me put it in contemporary terms. Don't come into church with ashes all over your head, looking like someone emptied a Dyson vacuum over your head. And say, look how repentant I, I am. Look how dirty I am. I, I haven't showered for ages. I've been fasting. I'm so beat up. Look at me. I haven't slept for 40 days and 40 nights. I've just been praying for the poor. Jesus says, act normal. Basically, bathe, wash your face, come to church, and don't let anybody know. Just 
when they look at you, I mean, if you happen to be tired, that's fine. Jesus is not saying that fasting will not make you weak and will not make you look tired. What he's saying is don't go out of your way to draw attention to yourself. Now, whichever view you take, whether it's the symbolic of a shining face, or if you take the view that Jesus is saying, just act normal and practice daily hygiene, both views make the same principle teaching, make the same point, which is don't draw attention to yourself. Continue on as normal. Fast in secret. Now, what does that mean? When it says fast in secret, it doesn't mean that you have to lie. So your wife asks you, hey, how come you're not eating? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's not hungry. You know? And in your heart, you're like, pastor said, the word of God said, I can't tell my wife. Well, the father knows. And your wife gets mad at you. Well, look, I cooked this. Or your mom or whoever gets mad at you. Like, I cooked this food. Why aren't you eating? <laughs> I'm, I, I can't tell you. I'm looking good. I'm going to go take a bath right now. That's, that's, that's not what it's saying. Right? But what it's saying, it says, fast as if you were doing it in secret. It's talking about the motivation. It's talking about the motivation, your intent, your purpose. Fast as if the only person who sees you is God. Fast as if it's in secret. It's not saying don't do things like a, like a, you know, that 40 hour, uh, walk, walkathon type of thing that the youth groups do. That's, it's not saying the churches can't call a fast and prayer for a building campaign or for a mission trip. That's not what it's saying, right? It, it's saying fast as if your motives are right, as if only the Father sees you. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who's in secret and your Father sees in secret, because the Father sees right into your heart. That's not saying that the Father sees and he sees that you're fasting in secret. It says that he knows your intentions. He knows your purpose. He knows your motives. And he will reward you. What's his reward once again? The reward ultimately is Christ. The reward is his blessing and his presence. So what are the spiritual benefits of fasting? What's his reward? Ultimately, his reward is that your senses, your soul is realigned with him. There's no better reward than to know that God is with you. The idea of having a relationship with Jesus means to walk with the Lord, to have Christ. And so the, the greatest spiritual benefit, what's his reward, is to have him. And that begins with salvation. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. When you're hungry, it enlivens your senses. You know, sometimes you're driving, and if you've eaten a big lunch, you're naturally going to get tired. But if you haven't eaten and you're hungry, it's not comfortable, but you're probably not going to fall asleep at the wheel. In the same sense, when you're hungry, you're more aware, you're just more alert. You can take the same principle if you're eating just really healthy. The healthier you eat and the less processed foods you eat, yeah, you're going to naturally be a little more alert. In the same way, there is a, there is a sense of desire for God that you can channel your desperate physical need into a spiritual sense of being satisfied by Christ. That's the definition of hungering and thirsting for God. It's not literal hunger. It's not literal thirst, but it is a spiritual sense. Now, for some of you, you're unable to fast meal times or food because you take medicine. I understand that, okay? Others of you, like I mentioned earlier, you're pregnant. Others of you, it's just not the right time for you to fast. You don't want to just fast because, you know, it's something that everyone's doing. You want to fast because the Lord has moved you so that time becomes a special time where you know why you're fasting. 
So if the Lord were to ask you, why are you fasting? You need to be able to tell him, here's a purpose, Lord. I have sin in my life, and I, I want to come in repentance. Father, I, there's this unbeliever that I've been praying for, and I just feel really led to fast and pray for them. And, and, and I'm too distracted by this world. I'm too distracted by work. So I, I need something that will draw my attention to you, right? You want to be purposeful in your fasting for the right reasons. But if you can't fast food, then consider a necessity, something that you need, something that's essential like food and water. And of course, I'm going to extrapolate this a little bit. You don't need your smartphone, but I want to give the example of a smartphone because your smartphone has trained you how to pray. There was an article recently that came out by the Gospel Coalition that kind of talked about this. You know, you're sitting in the waiting room or the elevator. It's kind of awkward. I mean, if you sit in the medical room and you're waiting, and what if you just weren't looking at your phone, just looking around? Everybody be like, that guy's weird. Because everybody else is looking at their phone. The phone is kind of, you see a stranger, rather than saying hi and striking up a conversation, okay, this is kind of awkward. Even if you have nothing to look at, you're just like, I'm going to look at my screen and pretend, pretend I'm not a creeper because I'm looking at my phone. Right, right, right. You think of how when you leave home without your phone, not only do you not have your GPS, but you almost feel like you're naked. Like, like I really forgot something. My phone's at home. I'm panicking. My whole schedule's on there. My whole calendar's on there. You know, people lived for 2,000 years without a phone and even longer than that. You know, so, so what if you just took the time to say, okay, I'm going to write all my appointments down for a week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear a watch again and use a real watch. You know, I will use my phone, but I will put it on just phone calls only somehow. I'm going to unplug. I'm going to do my work. You don't want to get fired. Okay, but you just don't go to social media. You just don't check email until once a night. Okay, and, and, and you just kind of unplug yourself, and and then you say instead I'm going to pray. And the reason why I say that, and this is not going to apply to all of you, but that longing when you feel tempted to go grab your phone because you feel lonely. You feel disconnected. You feel like, man, I, I feel so weird. I haven't read the news. I haven't checked my updates. I haven't looked at my phone. I didn't see if I got any new emails. I just feel, mm. that's when you pray. That's that feeling you need. Like, I, 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 I desperately need something. It, it, it tugs on your emotions. That's why I think it's a smartphone. I don't think video games do the same thing. Too trivial, right? If you say, hey, I fast, you know, a hobby, that's not a necessity. It doesn't do the same thing to your emotions. Right? If you say, I fast a certain type of food like soda, that doesn't count. That doesn't do the same thing to your emotions. Okay? But your smartphone, it's taken over our world. And so can we fast that if you can't fast food? Food is the most natural. For some of you, like myself, I would say exercise. For some of you, you're like, I don't like to exercise. I'm going to fast exercise. No, that doesn't count. For a lot of you, if you don't get your run in and you don't get that workout at least once, you just feel groggy. You feel upset. You feel heavy. You, f you don't feel good. Right? You feel pent up. It, it becomes a need. It's, it, it's like sustenance for joy. You haven't gotten your endorphins. You don't feel right because you haven't exercised. If that's you, try not exercising and praying and fasting instead. And say, God, I don't feel right. I don't feel good. I feel upset. I feel pent up. I haven't unwound. I just need to go exercise. And God says, instead of exercising, why don't you pray instead? 
So I only think a smartphone and exercise as two valid, true fastings as alternatives to food. You can think of some others, but not trivial things. That's what fasting does to you. It needs to be something like food where when you don't have it, it hits your emotions. It hits your heart. It makes you feel upset. It makes you feel weak. It makes you feel like you can't function. And God says, you need to learn to be hungry for me, to be hungry for God. I know you all love stories, and it's 1143. So let me tell you a story about a famous person who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't have to go very far today. All you got to do is turn a couple pages to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was hungry. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came to tempt him. And the devil said, if you are really the son of God, you're hungry, you're weak right now. I know you're divine, but Satan has good theology. Satan says, I know you're divine, but you're also 100% man. Otherwise, Satan wouldn't have tempted him. Satan understands Christology better than most Christians. And so Satan comes and he says, if you're truly the son of man, the son of God, divinity, but I know your humanity, then command these stones and turn them into bread so that you can feed yourself. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes the word of God, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil's like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm going to take you up to the pinnacle, to the top of the temple. He says, look, if you're the son of God, your father sees in heaven. He needs you to accomplish something on earth, right? He kind of needs you. So why don't you just throw yourself down? And so Satan is talking trash to him, getting in his ear. Come on, you! how good are you? You're really the son of God. You're really the son. If you're a God, look at all these people. They're going to abuse you. Look at your creation. They don't even recognize you. Look at all these Israelites. They don't even know who you are. They're going to, they're going to betray you. Look at these religious leaders. They're going to turn on you. If you're really the son of God, if you're really the king of kings, then throw yourself down and, you, and God will send his holy angels to, to pick you up. And what does is, what is Jesus say? Jesus says, Jesus says, no, no, I will not. I will not. No, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, right? No, I will not put my Lord to the test. No, God is holy. His name is to be hallowed. No, I will not do that. So finally, the devil takes him up to the top of the mountain and shows him the whole world. Now, you need to have more insight into this. It's not just a nice romantic view of Los Angeles. So Jesus sees the world. He's weak. Think about that. Have you ever fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? I haven't. I, I think I would die. Could you imagine how physically weak you are? Even if you're the son of God, he's 100% man. He's physically weak. And Satan says, I can give you all the kingdoms. Now, here's the tricky part. Jesus could have looked at Satan and said, Satan, I'm the, I'm the son of God. I created this. What do you mean? You're going to give me what's already mine? You don't need to give me what's already mine. That's going to be mine. That's not what Satan said to him. It's not recorded in the text. You have to understand what Satan's offering him an easier way in disobedience to God. The father. Forget about your father's plan. Really? 
Jesus, look, these people are going to betray you. They're going to crucify you. You're going to be separated from your father. Do you really want the kingdom that way? You really want the cross? Let me persuade you otherwise. You worship me, Satan says, and I'll give you all of this with no cost. You just betray your father, and you're still the son of God. Create a, a war, a divide between the, the members of the Trinity. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Be gone, Satan. Now, some of us would look at this and say, Jesus, that's easy for you to overcome temptation, even when you're fasting, because you are the Son of God. But once again, remember, he's 100% man. So do you think at any point during that temptation, do you think Jesus needed to pray to his Father? What do you think? Yeah? How do you think Jesus drew power from the Spirit to be able to combat Satan and not fall into temptation. It's not just because he's God. He's 100% man. He's weak. It's because he prayed to the Father. We have to believe that. That's his MO. That's his practice. And I wonder how he prayed. Now, the text doesn't say this, but chapter 6 gives us an example of how Jesus might pray. And so maybe... Maybe he might have done this. Satan says, throw yourself down and God's angels will catch you. Jesus might have said, our Father, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Your name is not to be tested. Your character is not to be tested. Even though I'm the Son of God, I will not abuse my authority because God is holy. Maybe when Satan tempted, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world the easy way. You're the son of God. You're the son of God. Worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he might have said more than that. And maybe Jesus said to his father, Father, he's telling me I'm going to be separate from you. He's reminding me of that. I don't want to be separate from you. That's, that's the greatest pain. Jesus didn't want to be separated from his father. Father, I've never known this separation. I don't want to bear your wrath. It's not just the physical torture. I don't want to bear your wrath. And maybe he said, Father, but your kingdom come. Satan wants to offer me all the kingdoms of the world his way. But no, no, your kingdom come your way. What we agreed upon, our redemptive plan, your will, not my will be done. The, on earth as it is in heaven, whatever we planned in eternity's past, in Ephesians 1, what we planned to save the elect, what we planned, what we predestined, that's what I'm going to submit to, not the enemy. And the enemy's good. He's going to come. And, and, and he's going to say to him, Jesus. Satan says, look at Hanley. You're going to die for him? He's going to betray you? He's going to curse his Sunday school students? I mean, his Sunday school teachers and his students? He's going to make mistakes? Look at Terrence. Look at Darren. Look at Leslie. Look at Ray. Look at John. You're going to die for them? Really? They're not always going to be faithful to you. Look at Albert back there. Really? You could die for these people? Satan's good. What does Jesus say? Father, I know who you've given me. I know that they will turn on me at times. I know they're not going to be perfect. I know that the only way they are going to be yours is if I go to that cross. Your kingdom come your way. Your will be done. 
sometimes it's the focus on other people that reminds us we have a mission. He's on the road to the cross. He knows each and every person he's going to die for. He's not dying just for, for nothing. He looked at each and every one of you as he's being tempted, as Satan's throwing it in his ears, and he's telling Satan, Father, I will submit to your plan so that these individuals can be part of your kingdom. Despite their imperfection and their sin, I will restore them, I will redeem them, I will take them. And that's where he can say, even though he did not sin, he can say, forgive us our debts because I'm bearing the debt of these individuals. I know their sins. I'm going to bear their debt and I'm going to say on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive us our debt as we also forgive our debtors. And when Satan gave him the first temptation, turn these stones into bread, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Father, I, I don't need this right now. Give me the spiritual bread. Jesus is the true and better bread. Jesus might have prayed, Father, I will go to the cross. I will go to the cross. You fulfill your will. And for all of Satan's temptations, Jesus might have prayed, Father, Father, this, is, this temptation is strong. It's real. I don't want to be separated from you. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me, deliver me from the evil one. Be gone, Satan. How do you think Jesus overcame the temptation? It doesn't say that he prays the Lord's Prayer. But when you go to chapter 4, to chapter 6, and then to fasting in chapter 6.16, I think we can't escape it. And we realize then that fasting if we do it Jesus' way, realigns us with God's kingdom, refocuses you on God's will, and reminds you of God's purpose for your life, maybe even clarifying his purpose for your life. The big idea this morning is hunger not for the praise of man, for your only reward will be dis a dissatisfying lust for more. Instead, hunger for the Son of Man because he, Christ is the only reward that satisfies both God and man. Hunger not for the praise of man. If you fast just for the praise of man, and if you're hungry for the praise of man, then your only reward will be a dissatisfying lust for more. You're not going to be satisfied. The more fame, the more praise, the more applause you get, you're just going to want more. It's going to drive you to, to do more good works, to get more of it, because it feels great. It feels good. The, Jesus never in his temptation said that this temptation is not truly tempting. It is tempting, and that's the beginning point. And the first step towards victory is realizing and being honest to God and saying, God, when man praises me, when humans praise me, it feels good. And it's tempting. It's tempting to do things just for man. But I know that if I do that, I'm never going to be truly satisfied in my soul. I'm just going to want more of it. So instead, hunger, fast and hunger and long for the Son of Man. Because only Christ is the reward that satisfies both God on the cross. Only, only Jesus Christ could satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is the only reward, the only sacrifice, the only person, only through the cross can God be satisfied with, with Him and then forgive us. And truly, if Jesus is the only one who can satisfy God the Father, 
then Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us. And that's what we mean when we say hunger for the Son of Man, because he is the only reward that satisfies both God and man. So to be satisfied in Christ alone looks like this. To be satisfied that we can pray to God the Father through Christ. To rejoice that his spiritual kingdom has arrived and that we can be part of it through Christ. To be satisfied with and filled with joy regarding God's will for our salvation through Christ. And what do you have there? You have, you have our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to be satisfied in Christ alone? It means to be satisfied with the spiritual bread of Christ and his word. Give us this day our daily bread. It means, it means to rejoice in the forgiveness of our sin through Christ. And so so to be so satisfied with that forgiveness that we have the capacity to forgive others who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then to rejoice that Christ has delivered you from the ultimate evil of sin and the judgment that comes with that through the cross and to pray for God to guard you from temptation and sin and to rejoice that the devil is not won over your heart and that is to lead us not into temptation but to deliver us from the evil one to really embody the Lord's prayer through fasting I believe is what it means to find satisfaction in Christ alone when you pray our Father. The only reason we can do that is because we have union with Christ. In many ways, when you're fasting and when you're weak and when you're really praying the Lord's Prayer, making it personal to your own life, and when you combine fasting and praying of the Lord's Prayer and really making it that way, you're praying in union with Christ. You are, in that sense, being as close as possible in oneness and spirit for that season or that dedicated time. And it's no wonder that Jesus desires for us to fast. So that's our challenge today. Is that will we look to be satisfied and because we hungry, hunger for God, that we would be satisfied by his son Jesus. Pray with me now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.